0: I want to start off, and I want to ask you a question. What is more powerful, the pen or the sword? Well, swords cut and pierce and kill. And if you see somebody walking down the road with a sword, what they're saying is, don't mess with me. If you have enough swords, you can take over the world. But, sword, but words... Words inspire the men who hold the swords. Words give the command to lift the swords. Words take hopeless men and make them brave and strong. Words inspire belief. Words compel change and bring about transformation and action. Swords can tear down, but swords can also protect. But words... Build worlds. When God created the world, he spoke. And everything came into existence. If you read through Proverbs, you find a surprising amount of time is spent talking about the power of your words. The Bible is called the sword of truth. So words are now being called a sword. A two-edged sword, actually, that pierces both bone and marrow. It cuts all the way through. Sharp words that convict, pierce to heal. These are eternal words that are cutting into the frozen tundra of our hearts and making us come alive if you give me a hundred men with a hundred swords or ten men who have found a truth that they are willing to live and die for, I'm taking the ten men. Even if they die, they live with all of their might while they do live, and they inspire the world around them for change. None of us wants a dull life. We crave a life of passion. At least if we are at our most courageous. We're starting a new series today in the book of Acts. It's called Our Hearts Burn Within. And the book of Acts tells of the historically true tales of Jesus' disciples, these apostles who go and change the world by spitting fire with their words. To understand the book of Acts, you've got to look at the end of Luke, who wrote Acts as well. And what I found in preps for this series is I found this golden string that runs from the book of Acts, that runs from Luke to Acts. And I'm going to read this one verse to you today, just one verse. And I want to tell you, if you miss this verse, you miss the whole motive of what happens in the book of Acts. Look, 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 look at me. These are men. And there are women who have died for the cause of Christ. And if you miss today, you have no idea why they're doing it. You're lost to it. So here's our verse. Luke 24, verse 32. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us? the scriptures. All right, let me give you the backdrop of what this is spoken into. So three days ago, Jesus has died. And two of his disciples are walking down this road towards Emmaus. It's a seven-mile trek. It's a two-and-a-half-hour-long journey. And on this road, as they're walking, a mysterious traveler like just sneaks up on them, and says, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, um... We're talking about what everyone is talking about. Jesus of Nazareth. He just died. He was just crucified. An innocent man who was just tortured to death. This is the greatest injustice there has ever been. How do you not know about this? He says, they say, he was our hope. We thought the world was going to change through him, and now he's dead. And then they say, but. Something strange has happened. Some of the women in our group say that they have been appeared to by angels, and that his tomb is empty, and he's now risen. They they say uh, our hope was lost, and we're not sure now what to make of all this. And the mysterious man says, he's like correcting them. He says, "Are you slow to believe?" What the prophets have been saying from so long ago, was it not necessary that Christ should come and suffer these things and enter into glory? All right, so then this mysterious man, here's what he starts to do. He goes all the way back to the beginning and he starts interpreting all of Scripture all the way up to Christ to prove that everything, every ounce, every little dot and iota, everything is pointing forward to Christ. And so the disciples are listening to this man with wonder and awe. And then they invite him and they say, hey, look, we're in Jerusalem now. Do you want to join us for a meal? And, and so he joins them. And then at some point in the meal, this mysterious man stands up, takes bread and breaks it. And as soon as the bread is broken, their eyes are opened up and they realize it's him. It's the Christ. He's risen. It's true. He really is the son of God. And then, as mysteriously as he came, he left. We got some people walking up to the front door if somebody wants to let them in. I caught it. Now I've just distracted you guys, but I didn't want them stuck out there. So, All right, so all that has just happened... And then these two men, they start reflecting back to all that's happened on this road. And here's what they say. Did not our hearts burn with us, within us, while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures? All right. Here's the question. What does it mean to have a burning heart? Here's the problem with scripture. When you come across something... And it says something that you don't know what it means and you keep reading and you realize that this, these verses are not going to tell me what it means. You've got to do something now because you got to figure out what it means. And so whenever you come across that, here's the rule. Let scripture interpret scripture, which means you got to go searching. you got to go on a hunt. And so let's go back to Psalm 39, verse 1 through 3. What does it mean that our hearts burn within? It says, this is David speaking, he says, I will guard my ways. That I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. So long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute in silence. I held my peace to no avail. And my distress grew worse. And my heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. Jeremiah 20 verse 9. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. You'll see why here it says, if I say I will not mention him. Or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in and I cannot. These two writers have discovered a truth that has set their hearts heart inflamed and their hearts are continuing to kindle into this white hot, passionate burning, because their hearts—it's like they—they they're, don't their hearts have nothing to do but speak out. And if they keep their mouth shut, their mouth will open up. They won't be able to help it, and they will speak of the truth that is in their heart. And then fast forward to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. So John the Baptist leads the way before Jesus. He's like the forerunner. So. Zechariah finds out from an angel that his wife is going to become pregnant. He's like, "No, no, 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 we've been trying. It's not working. And the angel's like, nope, it's going to happen. And this son of yours will prepare the way for the son of the living God to save the world. And he believes, but he's got some unbelief. And because of that unbelief, God shuts his mouth. He goes mute and he is unable to speak until his son, John the Baptist, is born, and then he believes again, and then he speaks. His name is John, is what he says. You put all of this together, and what you find is that Scripture is the eternal truth that when you believe it, it sets a burning passion in your heart filled with words that must escape. And if you don't let them escape, you're gonna go crazy. And let me just seal the deal with this why this is connected to Acts. At the beginning of the book of Acts, there's this strange image of these tongues of fire that appear over the heads of the apostles. Now, what is that? Well, there's a lot of things. One thing, though, it seems to be, is it's like a prophecy in a way, it's a promise. That these men are about to set out with truth in their bones that is burning up, and they will spit fire. Their tongues will speak words that will set the world aflame. And they're gonna die for doing it, but they don't care because they have found words of life that now burn hot within them, dying to escape. Where is your burning passion? And how do you get it like that? And why don't you have it? And can you have it? Can you have it like these disciples? Or was this only reserved for that period of time for them? Throughout Christian history... There have been men and women who have burned with passion for these words to be spoken and have given their life for the sake of these words to be spoke. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a pastor, also an assassin, and he was hung with a whole team of people on his team for the attempted assassination of Hitler. He found the word of truth so compelling that he saw an injustice, and he had to act, no matter the cost. And here's what his friend, who was a doctor, said about his death. He saw it happen. He said, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so sure that God had heard his prayer. And at the place of his execution, he again said a short prayer Then he climbed the few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued just after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. There are stories of early Christians who were martyred for their faith, literally fed to lions. They were told, Take it back. Take back what you said, and you could live. And a fire burned within them. They could not help it. They could not speak otherwise. Today, there are more Christians dying throughout the world than there ever have in the history of Christianity combined. We just don't know about it. A faith like the disciples is very much alive and active today. So can we have it? The answer is yes. Now listen, you're probably saying, Hey David, look, I just came here for a little bit of hope not to come and die. And to that I say, yes, maybe, perhaps. But you know what you have found? You have found a hope so wonderful, so glorious, so magnificent that you are willing to die for it. At least, well, it's that good. Do you know why? Because it's a hope that frees you from your fear of death. And however weird this might sound to you, every single one of you in this room, you are desperately searching for a truth that you would be willing to live and die for. That's why you're here this morning. And if you find that truth, it sets you free. Because now you're scared of nothing. Nothing can take anything away from you. You have a secure and final hope. And that's the type of person who's most free. Perhaps you came to Christianity for a little bit of hope that will get you through the day. And I just want to tell you, don't sniff around Christianity for something so small, because it is not that. Christianity is an invitation to come and die. To die to your old self. To die to your old passions. To exchange exchange them. For a more extraordinary life, for a whole new self, like you become a new creature, for the dream of heaven to come to earth. And so I ask you again how do you find this type of passionate fire? You have to meet Jesus out on the road and you take your curious skepticism you take your doubts i mean you look at the you look at those disciples they were in doubt and you take it and you take your hope and you kind of mingle it all together and then you meet him on the road and look what he does he opens up the scriptures to you and he's beginning to kindle this flame in you so much like it's it's like not all the way there but it's a little bit it's like a pilot flame it's like it's just started and then You have a meal with him, and you see that he's the broken bread. That's what this was alluding to. When Jesus Jesus meets with them, and and he has this meal, and he he rises up, and he breaks the bread, and their eyes become opened, and they recognize him. This is because just days earlier, he's meeting with his disciples in this closed room, and he says, look, let me tell you what's about to happen to me. And he takes the bread, and he breaks it he says, this is my body, broken for you. Meaning, you have to discover the broken God. You have to discover the God who has come to die. You have to discover the word made flesh come here to suffer for you. And then... Your eyes will be opened and you will understand. You've got to see him broken. And you've got to see all of this mingled up together. You take your doubts. Like, just be honest about your doubts. Like, they're there and you're pretending like they're not. Just take them to God. But don't just take your doubts to God. Bring some hope and some curiosity with you. And then open up the word and, like, live in it. Like, it's got something there to offer you something. And say to yourself, I'm not leaving until I discover him again. And then you'll find the broken king risen like a nice sunrise after a long two night. And still, like, this is a bit abstract. And so practically speaking, how do you find him? And the answer is, I have no idea. Like, I mean, I do. Like, I know how to take you to him. But I can't, I like, I cannot make you believe something. In the movie Top Gun Maverick, my son's name is Maverick, and just I did not name him. We did not name him after this movie, just so everybody knows. And my oldest son's name is Cruz, and we did not name him after Tom Cruise. His name is with a Z. It's just like I don't know what happened. Anyways, Maverick and Top Gun he's brought back to be a teacher and he says I am a fighter pilot it is who I am I don't know how to teach this like it's in him he doesn't know how to teach it and what I mean by telling you this is the Christian is a new creation and you cannot teach someone to become a new creation they just become a new creation you can't teach someone to be born they're just born So I can't make you into a new creation, but I can take you to the road to where it happens. If you will meet him there, taking everything like your doubts. But like you have to have this like curiosity to you a bit. And, you know, when when the verse that we read about David, when he when he David, he he says, he says, what did he say? I forgot what he said. Hold on. He said he mused, which means he gazed in wonder like, OK, when you read the Bible, are you in a sense of awe and wonder? Because if you're not, you're not going to find him. In, in our skeptics Bible study, like a few years ago, we did a little experiment. We opened it up to the city, meaning like I put it on meetup so that anybody that was on meetup could see that we had a skeptics Bible study and they would know where it is, when it was, and they could basically come. And so this this woman came and she was an angry, angry skeptic. And within two words of reading the Bible, she was like grunting and like scoffing and there was just anger there. And it it was really like, I loved what happened because if you're in the grove, if you're skeptical in the grove, like there's a curiosity that has brought you here. There's a sense of, I hope. And so what I saw is, a bunch of curious skeptics trying to help this angry skeptic be open to reading the Bible. And it was just, it was like a beautiful thing. And I just sat back and watched and I was like, oh man, look at this. This is amazing for me. Now, what I have found is that anybody that has come through our skeptics Bible study and has come to faith, they have come because of a curiosity that brought them a hope for something to wonder in but was also honest with their doubts. And I think that's what has to happen. And if you're a Christian, you have to read the Bible the same way. Because as soon as you think you got this book figured out, like, come on. These are the words of God. There are depths that you have no idea to the Bible. And so you always open it up with a sense of curiosity, a sense of wonder, a sense of awe, and you're bringing your doubts there to God, and He's working on them. And like when you go about your day, this here's another thing: you go about your day and you see this beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset, and you're like, "Oh, this is beautiful." You need to understand that God's word is far more beautiful than what you are looking at. And I could prove it to you. The creator is always more beautiful than the creation. If you drew something, like like, like if your kid drew, if you have kids, your kids draw something for you, and you started prizing what they drew for you more than them, there's like a problem. Like you're, you're saying this thing that you drew is more glorious than you. So do you know how God created the mountains that make you go, oh, wow, this is amazing? The sun that rises and sets... The oceans that the sun rises and sets upon, do you know what created those things? God's word. Which means God's word is always more glorious than anything that you are looking at. The birds in the air are pointing not to themselves, but to the word that created them. The fish of the sea are not pointing you to themselves, but something more glorious that created them, the word And that means in God's word there is power and there's like magic, if you would let me say that. Meaning it has the power of life in it, It has the power of creation in the words of God. And these words are in you. They're burning in you. Life is burning in you. So that means not only is your heart being changed, but you have the words to change your home. You have the words to offer life in your home. If your household is not the way that you want it to be. You have the power of life within you. And those words are powerful. They can change things. You have words that can change your neighborhood. You have words that can change your workplace. Words that can change the world. And. One last thing. If you want to understand Christianity, you can only do it if you have wholly entered in. Like you've gone all in. Otherwise, it's like looking into a castle through the window. You don't really see the magnificence of it until you go in. You can only know the castle and enjoy it once you go in. You have to go in in. So how are these words so powerful? These words of creation and life. Like, because it violated something a little bit in you, because you are part of creation. And so does that mean the words of God are more glorious than you are? And the answer is Yes. Because God's word is a person. Christ is the passionate word made flesh. The word of fire made flesh. Now, there's maybe a part of you right now that's like, oh, he's more glorious than me. Like, I was really feeling good about myself, David. Look. Everything in you is dying to find something. So glorious, you want to give your life over to it. Those words are living and active because they are a person. Jesus is a walking torch of words, He's the flaming sword of truth that pierces into your cold heart and makes it come alive. In heaven, He saw you on the road far off. And a passion burned in him for you. And so he left the warmth of heaven to come into our cold, cold, cold world. And you know, the same way that God sent forth his word and it brought about creation, the same way Christ brings about a new creation in you. And so how does he do that? He faced the cold and cruel cross and he was buried underneath the frozen tundra of hell like a like a hot so hot it's cold and he found you he found you buried under this frozen mass of your sin and under death and he came for you and he broke into all of it. And he started kindling this fire of grace and mercy and love and justice and compassion. And it burned hot in you until all of your sin, all of your shame was melted off of you. And then he, when he rose up from that frozen tundra of death, he brought you with him. And he's kindled eternity in your soul. And he's waiting on the road for you right now to turn you into this eternal flaming torch of life and love and his words like living in you, making you alive, making you found something that's worth living and dying for. It's what you really want. And so go and do it. You know, you're going to hold back because it's risky because you're like, do I really want to give my life to this? And the answer is you do. But the problem is you're never going to do it. You're never going to know it until you go in. Because you're like outside of the castle and you're looking in like, should I do this? And the answer is yes. And you know the answer is yes. Yet you're holding back. Because it costs so much. Yet it costs nothing. Go to him. He is your eternal hope in this frozen world. And I want to tell you something. He has a lot that he wants to do in you who has a lot that he wants to do with you and he has a lot he wants to do through you. Like he wants to do it. Go to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be the beginning of a movement of us as a church giving ourselves to you fully. God, if 12 disciples can change the world because of your word in them, then surely we can be a church that can change our city. So, in 30 years from now, God, I pray that some of us in this room would be able to look back at this day and say, That was when I went all in. That was when I stopped playing. That was when I finally realized Christianity is worth living and dying for. God, help us to believe like that. Help us burn with fire for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.